Today's selection from Calvert Library's digital collection is The Fourteenth Goldfish by Jennifer Holm. Chapter One, Goldie. When I was in preschool, I had a teacher named Star Lily. She wore rainbow tie-dye dresses and was always bringing in cookies that were made with granola and flax and had no taste. Star Lily taught us to sit still at snack time, sneeze into our elbows, and not eat the Play-Doh, which most kids seemed to think was optional. Then, one day, she sent us all home with a goldfish. She got them at ten for a dollar at a pet store. She gave our parents a lecture before sending us off. The goldfish will teach your child about the cycle of life, she explained. Goldfish don't last very long. I took my goldfish home and named it Goldie, like every other kid in the world who thought they were being original. But it turned out that Goldie was kind of original. Because Goldie didn't die. Even after all of my classmates' fish had gone down the great fishbowl in the sky, Goldie was still alive. Still alive when I started kindergarten. Still alive in first grade. Still alive in second grade and third and fourth. And then finally, last year in fifth grade, I went into the kitchen one morning and saw my fish floating upside down in the bowl. My mom groaned when I told her. He didn't last very long, she said. What are you talking about? I asked. He lasted seven years. She gave me a smile and said, Ellie, that wasn't the original Goldie. The first fish only lasted two weeks. When he died, I bought another one and put him in the bowl. There have been a lot of fish over the years. What number was this one? Unlucky 13, she said with a wry look. They were all unlucky, I pointed out. We gave Goldie 13 a toilet bowl funeral, and I asked my mom if we could get a dog. Chapter 2. Puzzles We live in a house that looks like a shoebox. It has two bedrooms and a bathroom, which has a toilet that's always getting clogged. I secretly think it's haunted by all the fish that were flushed down it. Our backyard is tiny, just a slab of concrete that barely fits a table and chairs. It's the reason my mom won't let me get a dog. She says it wouldn't be fair, that a dog needs a real yard to run around in. My babysitter, Nicole, walks into the kitchen, where I'm putting together a puzzle. It's kind of taken over our table. You've been working on that forever, Ellie, she says. How many pieces is it? One thousand, I say. It's a picture of New York City, a street scene with yellow cabs. I love puzzles. I like trying to figure out how things fit together, how a curve meets a curve and the perfect angle of a corner piece. I'm going to be on Broadway someday, she tells me. Nicole has long, buttery hair and looks like she should be in a shampoo commercial. She played Juliet in the production of Romeo and Juliet that my mother directed at the local high school. My mom's a high school drama teacher, and my dad's an actor. They got divorced when I was little, but they're still friends. They're always telling me that I need to find my passion. Specifically, they'd like me to be passionate about the theater. But I'm not. Sometimes, I wonder if I was born into the wrong family. Being on stage makes me nervous. I've watched too many actors flub their lines. And I'm not a fan of working behind the scenes either. 
I always end up steaming costumes. Oh yeah, your mom called. She's going to be late, Nicole says. Almost as an afterthought, she adds, something to do with getting your grandfather from the police. For a second, I think I heard her wrong. What? I ask. Is he okay? She lifts her shoulders. She didn't say. But she said we can order a pizza. An hour later, my belly is full of pizza. But I'm still confused. Did my mom say anything about why Grandpa was with the police? I ask. Nicole looks mystified. No. Does he get in trouble a lot? I shake my head. I don't think so. I mean, he's old, I say. How old is he? I'm not quite sure. I never really thought about it, actually. He always just looked old to me. Wrinkled, gray-haired, holding a cane. Your basic grandparent. We only see him two or three times a year, usually at a Chinese restaurant. He always orders mugu gai pan and steals packets of soy sauce to take home. I often wonder what he does with them. He doesn't live that far from us, but he and my mother don't get along very well. He's a scientist and says theater isn't a real job. He's still mad that she didn't go to Harvard like he did. A car alarm goes off in the distance. Maybe he was in a car accident, Nicole suggests. I don't know why teenagers get a bad rap, because old people are way worse drivers. He doesn't drive anymore. Maybe he wandered off, Nicole taps her head. My neighbor had Alzheimer's. She got out all the time. The police always brought her home. That kind of sounds like she's describing a dog. That's so sad, I say. Nicole nods, totally sad. The last time she ran away, she got hit by a car. How crazy is that? I stare at her with my mouth open. But I'm sure your grandfather is fine, she says. Then she flips back her hair and smiles. Hey, want to make some popcorn and watch a movie? Chapter 3. Ring. Warm air drifts through my bedroom windows. We live in the Bay Area in the shadow of San Francisco, and late September nights can be cool. But it's hot tonight, like summer is refusing to leave. I used to love how my bedroom was decorated, but lately I'm not so sure. The walls are covered with the painted handprints of me and my best friend Brianna. We started doing them back in first grade and added more handprints every year. You can see my little handprints grow bigger, like a time capsule of my life. But we haven't done any yet this school year, or even this summer, because Brianna found her passion, volleyball. She's busy every second now with clinics and practices and weekend tournaments. The truth is, I'm not even sure she's still my best friend. It's late when the garage door finally grinds open. I hear my mother talking to Nicole in the front hall, and I go to them. Thanks for staying, she tells Nicole. My mom looks frazzled. Her mascara is smudged beneath her eyes, her red lipstick chewed away. Her natural hair color is dirty blonde like mine, but she colors it. Right now, it's purple. No problem, Nicole replies. Is your dad okay? An unreadable expression crosses my mom's face. Oh, he's fine. Thanks for asking. Do you need a ride home? I'm good, Nicole says. By the way, Lisa, I have some exciting news. Yes? I got a job at the mall. Isn't that great? 
I didn't know you were looking, my mom says, confused. Yeah, I didn't think I'd get it. It's such a big opportunity. The ear-piercing place at the mall. When do you start? My mom asks. That's the hard part. They want me to start tomorrow afternoon. So I can't watch Ellie anymore. I totally would have given you more notice, but... I understand, my mom says. And I can hear the strain in her voice. Nicole turns to me. I forgot to tell you. I get a discount. Isn't that great? So come by any time and shop. Um, okay, I say. I better be going, she says. Good night. Good night, my mother echoes. I stand in the doorway with my mother and watch her walk out into the night. Did she just quit? I ask. I'm a little in shock. My mother nods. This is turning into a banner day. I stare out into the night to catch a last glimpse of my babysitter, but see someone else. A boy with long hair. He's standing beneath the old dying palm trees on our front lawn. It drops big brown fronds everywhere, and my mom says that it needs to come down. The boy is slender, wiry looking. He looks 13, maybe 14. It's hard to tell with boys sometimes. You need to put your trash out, the boy calls to my mom. Tomorrow is trash day, and our neighbor's trash cans line the street. Would you please come inside already, my mom tells the boy. And when's the last time you fertilized the lawn, he asks. There's crabgrass. It's late, my mom says, holding the door open impatiently. I wonder if she's one of mom's students. Sometimes they help her haul stuff in and out of her big battered cargo van. You have to maintain your house if you want to maintain its value, he says. Now, the boy reluctantly picks up a large duffel bag and walks into our house. He doesn't look like a typical theater crew kid. They usually wear jeans and t-shirts, stuff that's easy to work in. This kid's wearing a rumpled pinstripe shirt, khaki polyester pants, a tweed jacket with patches on the elbows, and leather loafers. But it's his socks that stand out the most. They're black dress socks. You don't see boys in middle school wearing those a lot. It's like he's on his way to a bar mitzvah. He stares at me with piercing eyes. Did you make on a roll? I'm startled, but I answer anyway. Uh, we haven't gotten report cards yet. Something about the boy seems familiar. His hair is dark brown on the shaggy side, and the ends are dyed gray. An actor from one of my mom's shows, maybe? Who are you? I ask him. He ignores me. You need good grades if you're going to get into a competitive PhD program. PhD program? She's 11 years old, my mother says. You can't start too early. Speaking of which, he says, looking pointedly at my mother's outfit. Is that what you wear to work? My mom likes to raid the theater wardrobe closet at school. This morning, she left the house in a floor-length black satin skirt and matching bolero jacket with a frilly white poet shirt. Maybe you shouldn't consider buying a nice pantsuit, he suggests. Still stuck in the Stone Ages, I see, she shoots back. Then he turns and looks at me, taking in my tank top and boxer short pajama set. He says, why are your pajamas so short? What happened to long nightgowns? Are you boy crazy like your mother was? All the girls her age wear pajamas like that, my mom answers for me.
And I wasn't boy crazy. You must have been boy crazy to elope, he says. I was in love, she says through gritted teeth. PhD lasts a lot longer than love, he replies. It's not too late to go back to school. You could still get a real degree. Something about this whole exchange tickles at my memory, like I'm watching a movie I've already seen. I study the boy. The gray-tipped hair, the way he's standing so comfortably in our hall, how his right hand opens and closes, as if used to grasping something by habit. But it's the heavy gold ring hanging loosely on his middle finger that draws my eye. It's a school ring, like the kind you get in college. And it looks old and worn and has a red gem in the center. I've seen that ring before, I say. And then I remember whose hand I saw it on. I look at the boy. Grandpa? I blurt out. If you enjoyed this chapter and are hungry for more, this title is available as an ebook and audiobook on Libby by Overdrive. If you're enjoying Book Bites, please don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if there are books or genres you'd like to hear, please let us know via email at calvertlibrarybookbites at gmail.com. Visit calvertlibrary.info for more information and stay tuned for more book bites.